everyone, it's Billy Hale, and we are here today with the Full Contact Cannabis Podcast. So we're sitting here, and I've got the old hemp farmer with me as usual. What is happening today, old hemp farmer? Well, we're looking at the weather and checking on the market. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this, your past, where you're at now, and anything anybody might want to know. Well, first of all, I've been infatuated for cannabis since about 1974 when I stumbled upon my first cannabis plant growing in southern Indiana. And it was totally intriguing about this plant growing and basically where some people were throwing stuff out of uh, their ashtrays. And these plants came up. And uh, I had flirted with consuming cannabis at that point, but it was after being around the plant and watching this thing grow that I realized I actually liked studying it and growing it as much or more than consuming cannabis. So that pretty well started a lifelong study of cannabis, which back in the 70s was quite difficult because there wasn't really that many established places where one could grow it, study it, learn about it that wasn't under the watchful eye of the U.S. government. But there were people and places. And so over the years, I started amassing more contacts and more information about cannabis. And then in 1996, when California legalized medical marijuana for the first time in my life, there was a glimmer of hope that I might one day legally be a cannabis professional. And that's kind of what spurred it on a little bit more because now there are places I could go and visit and people who were legally or quasi-legally making a living in cannabis, which basically what happened is all these people started through the internet because here was one of the first times that we could kind of bond and get a hold of each other and learn. And so I was in the film business which kind of gave me a loose enough life that where I could go and travel and meet people. And then in 2012, when Washington State and Colorado legalized, I decided that I was going to throw myself into trying to make a legal living growing cannabis. And so the first place I looked was in Washington State because that was a place, and I happened to meet a couple crazy people who decided to try to hire me to help do marketing because I'd been in the film business and to work with them on a breeding program. And it was a company by the name of uh, Columbia River Cannabis. And so I was working with them because rolling out the I-502, which was the recreational cannabis program in Washington State, uh, it had its hiccups. It did not roll out very smoothly at all. Uh, basically, you had a whole bunch of people who had never had any first-person experience in cannabis all of a sudden trying to run a cannabis program. And so there was, really was some growth spurts and pains and the whole bit. Meanwhile, the place that where I was presently making a living, which Tennessee during that same time, all of a sudden in 2014, decided they were going to have a hemp law. And the reason why that hemp was so intriguing is because my experience with I-502, I realized there were some really tough 
things to overcome if you went into recreational cannabis. One is the IRS's tax law, which is 280E, and then compliancy, the levels of bureaucracy that, that you had to do to be able to be in their program was pretty tough. I mean, basically, by the time a plant gets eight inches tall, it has to have its own barcode. And so we didn't have this here. And I sat down with the wonderful people at the Tennessee Department of Agriculture, and I asked them, I said, can I grow hemp for CBD? And I heard those lovely words, we don't care what you do as long as it's over, not over 0.3% Delta 9 THC. And so I told those folks out in Washington, I was going to stay in Tennessee and I was going to grow medical hemp, which they said with a smile on their face, I'd lost my mind because at that point, there really wasn't an established mechanism or distribution or any of those things for CBD. The only thing that existed at that time was an online market where people were getting ridiculous amounts of money for a gram of CBD, which in 2014 retail was about $250 a gram, which versus in Washington state, if you were trying to sell a gram of isol I mean of distillate or wax or whatever, the best you could hope for was like $60, $65. And it sounded like a great thing. But and so I dwelled in. There was about 50 other people in 2015 in Tennessee who decided they were going to do medical hemp because although there were a few people who were growing hemp for what I call true industrial reasons, which would be for seed oil or textiles, almost everybody was growing for CBD because that's where the money was. Now, once we grew it, we quickly realized um, we're out the Western states or the states that had medical marijuana, there were things like labs and packaging and processing and a whole host of industries that are supportive to a cannabis business. And it was at that point we had people coming in, all sorts of people, really. It was amazing how many people in 2015 were coming into Tennessee to see if they can exploit what they called a gray area and a newfound law. People were coming from the East Coast, from Canada, from Australia. So it was like the gold rush. It was a gold rush because all of a sudden you had an agricultural product that once you processed it, basically was, not to exaggerate, but about $200,000 a kilogram at retail at that point. And they were dealing with this online? And yeah. At, at that point, since almost all the recreational medical states were totally preoccupied with high THC cannabis. There are very few of almost no people in North America in 2014, 2015 that were growing any sorts of amount of hemp or medical hemp or high CBD cannabis. So that was the thing about it here is all of a sudden you had, um, and this was spurred, not to get too wonky, um, there's a, a physician by the name of Sanjay Gupta who had a pro program on CNN. 
and he happened to do a special on epilepsy and CBD. And it's kind of funny how Tennessee kind of has come full circle on this. The people that had a, a daughter by the name of Charlotte, who was suffering from pretty bad epilepsy, could not find conventional uh, drugs or treatments that were working well in Tennessee. But they had heard there were some guys out in Colorado that were growing high CBD marijuana. And the high CBD marijuana seemed to work wonders on epilepsy. I remember seeing this when it came out. In the video, there was a guy who could not stop shaking. And like almost immediately after ingesting it, he seemed to totally become normal. And so what it was is that, and this is what's so funny is, is that almost all of the earlier CBD was not grown as hemp. It was grown as medical marijuana because in Washington State or Colorado at the time, although they had medical marijuana, they did not have legal hemp. Statewide, it, it wasn't legal to grow hemp. So people were doing this. But there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Ryan Laughlin in Colorado around 2013, 2014, who that was a year after they had recreational marijuana, decided he was going to push the envelope and actually put out a hemp crop, which forced Colorado to, OK, this is crazy. We have recreational marijuana, but we don't have legal hemp in the state. So it forced them to have a legalized statewide hemp. And it wasn't about that same time that Kentucky did it. And Kentucky and Colorado, Vermont, there was some also some renegades up in Vermont that were growing hemp without the, the auspices of the United States Department of Agriculture. So this what jump started this. And then so that's when in the next year, Tennessee did and a few other states. And all of a sudden you had states that had no background whatsoever in any form of cannabis. All of a sudden wake up one morning after the legislatures legalized and says, OK, you're a plant pathologist. Well, now you're the head of the Department of Hemp. And we all made it up together because here it was, they were trying to run a department and this law that was at the time in 2015, the hemp law in most states was very vague because there, no one had done it. There was none of this, how do you process it? How, what, what are all the things about transporting it? These things weren't thought of when the law was done. And then the other thing it wasn't thought of was law enforcement. Because now all of a sudden, like the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, now had fields that looked, smelled, sounded right. yeah. just like any other cannabis plant. In fact, um, in the second year that I grew, we were growing a big fiber crop out in Nunley, Tennessee. And it was like a 15-acre field. And the helicopters came. And there's going, and then they went away. And it wasn't about 45 minutes later, all sorts of squad cars 
came back. Just out of curiosity, were they sheriff or police? Or? No, this was the TBI. Oh, okay. Tennessee Bureau of... Because they're the ones who have the nice black helicopters. Right, right. And so here it came in, and they, they all pulled in at the same time. And you could see that they that they weren't... They didn't know what was going on because there's not too many 15-acre fields of high THC cannabis in Tennessee, although there's a boatload of high THC cannabis grown in Tennessee. They're not big fields. Right. Broad daylight. Broad, obvious. Yes. Right. It, you know, it was, I mean, it, pretty nice field. It was. So, you know, they come in, they immediately call the uh, Tennessee Department of Agriculture. They get the coordinates and every, they do their little photos because <laughs> they all had to pose in front of that big field <laughs> and and took off. But that but that was another thing. The law of unintended consequences was, okay, we're going to pass a hemp bill or hemp law, and now all of a sudden you have these people who were not prepared for it, sure as heck couldn't differentiate between high THC cannabis and high CBT cannabis. I can't. Well, I mean, seriously. That's what we have labs for. The Full Contact Cannabis Podcast is sponsored by Tennessee Homegrown, tnhomegrown.com. Go check them out and visit the Old Hemp Farmer. Hey everybody, we've been listening to the Old Hemp Farmer. We're talking about the history of hemp and cannabis, which we'll talk about later. And I think it's a whole other podcast, Cannabis versus Hemp. I was actually in a uh, debate about this. And I know the facts now because I went and checked them out, but I would like to hear that from you. But we were at a place in uh, cannabis hemp in uh, Tennessee where there wasn't really, they were just dropping laws in. So what I thought we would do is go from there until now and just talk about how we got from there until 2020. Well, the laws, that, the hemp laws that were passed in Kentucky, Tennessee, wherever, spurred an industry. And that was the medical hemp CBD industry. And for, for, for the first time, you had real investment and a lot of investment from a lot of different places. And that has spurred changes in laws, marketing, whatever, to where we are, are at this point where high CBD cannabis is a full-fledged industry that's worth literally billions of dollars. And so what we have here in Tennessee is basically what's happening in any other state that's doing high CBD cannabis is we have a market that's grown through major growing pains because uh, since it's not really regulated like high THC cannabis, anybody can grow as long as you get a license. And so what has happened is there has been a huge influx of people, some who have experience because they came from the high THC cannabis world. But by and large, you have a huge amount of people that had no, knew little or almost nothing about getting about cannabis that are getting into the industry because now it is a billion dollar industry. Now, would this be uh, farmers with, let's say, tobacco knowledge, or would this be, it almost reminds me of the 60s when people started growing things to create a better world, but they had no idea how to grow anything. Are we dealing with all of these different facets? Well, like I said, 
those individuals that came in from legal high THC cannabis who had some experience about growing for processing, packaging, and retail, they were at an advantage. The thing about it was, is that the farmers that had transitioned, which in Kentucky and Tennessee meant a boatload of tobacco farmers, very few row, what I call row croppers or people who grow soybeans, corn, wheat, you know, uh, those things. Um, and although they had a background because you can, you can plant medical hemp or high CBD cannabis almost the exact same way you do tobacco. And so this was the thing about it. You had people who had experience in getting it in the ground. The thing where it kind of fell apart was, is they have absolutely none, no, or very little cannabis experience. And this is the thing about it is, first part of the crop, it really isn't that much about getting. You want to get it good, healthy start, you want to get it in the ground, you want to give it as much fertilizer as you can without stressing the plant out and let it go. The problem happened is, is that when these tobacco farmers had to start harvesting this stuff, it was the, wow, we don't know this plant. And they didn't. I mean, okay, <clears throat> there's a lot about cannabis, especially if you're talking for flour that is somewhat subjective. It's no different than somebody who's trying to grow grapes for a, a fine vintage wine or anything like that. So knowing that, being able to walk through a field and say, okay, that plant's three days away from needing to be picked. That was the expertise that didn't, didn't exist. And then the other thing was, okay, now I picked it. What do I do with it? Right. And, and that was the other thing that happened is that things like molds, uh, mildew, these sort of things that weren't nearly as rampant in uh, tobacco. And, and then the other thing that I think was a culture shock to traditional farmers were is that for the first time, they basically had to almost grow organic. Traditional farming or conventional, conventional agriculture, God, they love their chemicals. And there's a reason why. Let's face it. If you can spray for weeds, you can spray for insects, or you can spray for disease, it makes things easier. I'm going to stop you right there. I think that's a whole separate podcast. Okay. And uh, it is. So I'll tell you what. Um, I don't know what our time is right now, but I think what we've got here is a podcast about sort of the the origin story of hemp, at least in Tennessee, and a little bit over the U.S. And um, we will be back with another podcast where we will discuss FDA, where we're at with 2020 on that, um, everything organic versus not organic, which was brought up to me just two nights ago. It was like, isn't it all organic? Great question. And then there's, I'm sure, 80,000 other topics. So uh, we're going to leave you wanting more, but you can check back at fullcontactcannabis.com. That should take you to our Facebook page where you can engage with other hemp users, cannabis growers, and everything in between, and uh, listen to not only this podcast, but all the future podcasts that are going to be coming down the line. The Full Contact Cannabis Podcast is sponsored by Tennessee Homegrown, tnhomegrown.com. Go check them out and visit the old hemp farmer.